podcast for women who know things and women who want to know things. I'm Charlotte Lydia Riley, And I'm Emma London. And uh, today, this is the first episode that we're recording in 2018. Yes. I was about to say 2019, but that's getting a little bit ahead getting of things. Getting ahead of yourself. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about resolutions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Today is apparently, today is the day often touted as Blue Monday. Is it? Yes, apparently. Today is Blue Monday. Um, wow. which is a terrible pseudoscientific invented marketing device. How has Blue Monday been... How has it, it kind of been adopted? Yeah, well, no, but what's the science behind it? Is, has there been a... Is, is there a scientific study lurking in the background, do you I, think? I think there's... So I think there was quite a good article in Stylist about this, which I think we can probably link to on the website, which talked about how it had been kind of adopted by different marketers. I think there was some kind of psychological studies about you know periods of depression in the new year and um, factors that make people particularly uh, prone to depression maybe at this time of year so things like um, you know there might there might be you know for example having financial problems after Christmas or Mm. um, the effects of SAD um, and you know that kind of anti-climax right and then still having three months of, of winter to get through and being a long way from the summer and all the rest of it but it's it's been adopted in a ridiculous way by certainly a lot of British companies who try to use it as ways to market various different things. Definitely. I used to be a travel editor mm-hmm. in my previous life. And uh, and I think it, sort of, it wasn't such a big deal then. I mm-hmm. think it kind of started happening. So I left my job in 2010. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sort of a little bit like Black Friday. Yes. It had only really started um, to kind of become a, become a thing in the media around that time and it's you know this is supposed to be the day when people are meant to be booking their holidays because booking your holidays makes you feel happy apparently it also causes a bit of a spike in holiday bookings Mm -hmm. so people can make a bit of money yes air air carriers in particular can make money because they think this was one of the ways that it did kind of get uh, really kind of mainstreamed in Britain wasn't it because this is supposed to be the time that people this is supposed to be the time that people in their lunch hour in the office Mm. today is the day that people book their long haul mm. holidays to get some winter sun as an online travel editor it was basically my job to make sure that people knew what to book at that point <laughs> but yeah but uh resolutions then i suppose that could be a bit bleak as well for people who are now halfway we're recording this on the 15th of january so yes. literally halfway uh towards the end of january do you have a resolution charlotte so i i um have had I have some sort of vague resolutions, I guess. Actually, one of my resolutions for this year was to read more fiction, mm. um, which I think is a kind of good, kind of positive resolution that I can, you know, that is a sort of enjoyable thing to do. Mm. And it's about reminding myself that I enjoy reading fiction and that I should try to make time to do more of it. Um, I'm also trying to feel less guilty at the same time about not reading. <laughs> um, and particularly feel less guilty. I, I realised last year that I actually felt guilty about rereading things too much and not reading new books. Oh, okay. Because my flat is full of books that I haven't read yet. Mm. You know, that I books that I liked the cover of, or I got bought for Christmas, or I've kind of acquired, uh, read a great review of and gone out and bought and then actually not read. Mm. And so, you know, obviously it would be good to kind of work through the backlog. But at the same time, I think... It can sometimes be 
you can it sometimes be, you know you you can be kind of hard on yourself about things that are hobbies yeah whereas in reality like at the end of the day it makes no difference to anybody whether i read new fiction or whether i read the same stuff or whether i watch television right? yeah like, this is these are things that are meant to give you joy yes exactly. in a bit of a mari kondo fashion yes Anne friedman wrote a good piece recently actually about the urge to kind of avoid thinking about hobbies as side hustles i think that's what she was talking about oh, okay. specifically but the idea that hobbies should be fun mm-hmm. and that therefore actually there's a real value in taking away some of the idea that you're doing it because it's good for you or that you're doing it to be worthy in some way that actually mm-hmm. we need to we're, we're often encouraged i think you know we've talked about before the idea of um kind of ways in which individuals are encouraged to think about um the ways that they can make themselves better and more competitive in the market and things yeah as a sort of hobby as a self-improvement mm-hmm. sort of yeah exactly yeah. in the same way that wellness kind of and um kind of mindfulness come from a good place if mm. it's about something you want to do but can ultimately become something that's really just about um individuals being encouraged to to kind of marketize their well-being and yeah should we maybe reiterate again that we're not actually against mindfulness we're against mindfulness on a systemic scale yes, as a uh, solution to problems that should probably be solved yes by other means exactly and I think sometimes hobbies can be a bit like that, right? We're often encouraged to think about hobbies in terms of, um, for example, being able to like develop a marketable skill. Oh yeah, or in... a sort of extracurricular yes items yeah, yeah. that I think I don't know. I d- just don't. I didn't grow up in a culture where that's a mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> um, this blissful place called Sweden where people just <laughs> have hobbies because they're fun we, we learn instruments we don't do grading exams in them we just learn them and if you're good you're good and if you're not good you might you know still play them because the they give you joy of, the but, idea of not doing exams in musical instruments like that just sounds that sounds so Swedish to me it's utopian isn't it yeah, it's yeah. blissful um, and there are ways of, of you know being sure whether you are good or not like there are ways of asserting mm-hmm. uh, different skill levels in musical instruments <laughs> outside of doing exams I mean you could just play them in public for one um but yeah I think that's a really interesting thing that you these days is there something that has grown recently that you are now meant to be doing more stuff outside of your studies or your work life in order to kind of set yourself apart is it Mm. is it kind of is it a symptom of the the contemporary workplace maybe or the kind of the not so happy freelancing life that many of us have that you kind of have to be a pioneer in so many fields and like be so accomplished I think that's it I think it's increasing ideas about having a portfolio of skills as well that so many people now increasingly are moving towards being freelance or semi-freelance that you have a you might have a main job but you probably also have a variety of other different things I mean you know I I am an academic I have a full-time job that I'm paid to do but I also you know I do bits of writing on the side Mm. for example and 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 lots of people I know do that sort of thing or you know you might have kind of um I'm a freelance historian and a freelance uh (laughs) journalist and I don't know, jack of all trades? <laughs> jack of all trades, master of all trades. Right, um, yes, of course. <laughs> I think, you know, and I think there is a sense that increasingly we're being encouraged to think about 
first of all think about ourselves as having maybe not having a career for life anymore and having a set of skills instead that can be applied to various different Mm. workplaces which is probably a good thing but also the sense that yeah I don't know I think hobbies increasingly are talked about as if you know they might be a kind of a side hustle that then might become your successful business and you might become like an entrepreneur or something like this you know that you might do a pottery class in Mm. the idea that at some point you would become some sort of incredible artisan or potter and have an Instagram shop and all of the rest of it. Yeah, the Instagram shop I think is is really interesting because I follow, I like to do a lot of sort of arts and crafts Mm -hmm. I suppose. I I used, before my daughter was born I used to make the clothes that I wear Mm -hmm. and I've started to think about getting into knitting Mm -hmm. because I never really learned to knit properly. I can only knit incredibly shapeless things but it's quite, (laughs) it's quite, um, yeah, it, it's quite a good thing. I suppose that might be the area in which I do practice kind of mindfulness. Yeah, Just no, doing shapeless too. knitting, vast amounts of shapeless knitting. I do uh, embroidery, or I used to do a lot of embroidery, and it's a really nice thing to do in front of the TV, because yeah. you don't really watch TV, you kind of listen to TV, and you, you mm-hmm. spend your... I find it really difficult to just watch TV and I think that's why I'm on my phone a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you find me tweeting a lot in the evening, it's because I'm sat in front of the TV. Um, and now I'm trying to do um, get back to the embroidery instead. But I sort of follow a lot of people who do similar things on mm-hmm. Instagram. And it seems like this whole... People used to be content being bloggers and now everyone's setting up companies and selling stuff Mm. some one way or another it feels like there's a real focus and again that this is often sold to women I think as being empowering in some way Mm. that like the idea of the idea of kind of personal entrepreneurship Mm. and the idea that and I and I guess you know what's held over this is the idea that you would eventually like own a successful business and have a successful company you hit you know you read lots of stories of kind of women who do have very successful design companies that started mm. out of their kitchen. And, and obviously there's a whole other story here, actually, about women, um, maybe not so much from our generation, but but maybe maybe still, actually, women who kind of come out of the workforce to have children yeah, and then who want to find a way of getting back into the workforce that's maybe not going back into their existing jobs. Yeah. And the kind of the horrible portmanteau word, the, the mumpreneur, I can't even oh, say yeah. it. <laughs> mumpreneurs. Um, the idea that you know you should be able to kind of monetize something that you could do from your kitchen and you could do whilst around flexible childcare and all yeah. the rest of it. Um, Some of that is obviously good, and yeah. I know there's one person in particular who has a ha, used to have a blog mm-hmm. called Tilly and the Buttons, and now mm-hmm. has a company yes. yeah, called yeah. Tilly and the Buttons who seems to be doing really, really well. It's mm-hmm. really if anyone wants to learn how to sew, then she's a very good place to start on yeah. her patterns. And it, her business has expanded like exponentially during yes. the time that I've been following her, which might be about, about five years possibly. Yeah. Um so there's obviously people who can and who are able to do this and And it, it can be really positive and particularly as a way of you know, for that often for that particular reason, of as a way of dealing with having maybe exited uh, jobs or having kind of lost interest in a career and mm. um, I'm wanting to do you know of course there's something really empowering about mm. doing something that you actually genuinely care about or you enjoy but for those of us who would probably be content to do it in front of the tv or like late at night and just mm-hmm. see it as a bit of a creative outlet the the pressure these days to kind of mm. marketize those skills uh, yeah it's not something that we should 
disregard completely. Do and you I, have do you have other resolutions apart from reading? Uh, so I I had an, an utterly ridiculous uh, resolution, which was I, this is embarrassing even to say out loud, which was that I was going to use up more of the kind of bath stuff that I have <laughs> accumulated. And this sounds this sounds completely ridiculous. This is a ridiculous resolution, um, not fitting for to reveal on a podcast, but. That basically, uh, I I had got lots of kind of bath bombs and things like this, and uh, I'm really bad at keeping things for best. Just generally keeping things for best, uh, yeah. keeping clothes for best, mm. keeping food for best. Like not using it day to day because you think, y- you know, it's You're too saving nice. it for a special yes, occasion. Exactly. And I realised at Christmas when I got kind of another wonderful haul of lush bath bombs mm. that I actually still had some from last year because I had always sort of thought oh well I won't use them this time mm. and I guess if I wanted to try if I wanted to try and like if I wanted to try and make this into a point that's not just me revealing politicise the bath bomb if I want to politicise the bath bomb rather than just be really embarrassed about how much like bathroom stuff I have um, <laughs> it would be it, it's, a, it's a thing about self care right it's about yeah. treating yourself in a way that is actually kind mm. of positive but also manageable a lot of the treat yourself um language has been kind of adopted to be like spend lots of money on yourself even if you don't have it because self-care is important and And you're um, investing for a return yes exactly whereas i guess this is me being like maybe i could just like be nice to myself by using the bath bombs I have in my bathroom. <laughs> Declutter and treat yourself at yeah, the same exactly. time. Yeah, exactly. It's a perfect um, solution, really. Yeah, definitely. Do you normally have resolutions? Oh, I have hundreds all the time. Do you? All the time, or are they New Year's Eve based? So I have New Year's ones, and then I also have school year, because I don't feel oh, like okay. I run on a January to... Do you feel like you run on a January to December year? Uh, I think I do, actually. I was out of academia f- mm-hmm. for a few years five or six years so I think you've been in it since you started your BA haven't you no I had some time out but not that long yeah I had only had a year out how do school years run in Sweden do they run September to August uh no September to June Yes, I mean, we had the for summer the teach- off as well. For the teachers, yeah, yeah. they it would run from September. No, August, still August, I think. And yeah. then uh, kids are out from early June yes. until mid-August. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I know that, you know, some European kind of schools thinking... run January to December, so they don't yeah. actually have the same school year as us. Yeah, no, I suppose that's true. But um, I kind of run on quarters, I feel. Because mm-hmm. I, when I was a kid, I used to have a calendar, a war calendar that split the year up in, like, quarter segments. Mm-hmm. I'm now showing Charlotte how I look. Um, and I still think of about like months as blocks of time. Yeah. So I, I think too, I kind actually. of I kind of operate on that kind of quarterly scale, but I think I mostly operate from January till December. Um I tend not to really have any resolutions. I kind of try to have more resolutions all the time, I mm-hmm. suppose. But I really like the end and beginning of things. I like the end and beginning. So I think it's a really good time to... I, I like taking stock yeah. and seeing what can be improved and Definitely. see what, what needs to, you know, changing habits. And I really like the sort of return from holiday and trying to get new mm. habits when you have been out of... This is partly also having a young child who tends to change her habits when we're away from home mm-hmm. for a week. Yeah. It's kind of quite inspirational in that way. She just sort of starts up a completely new system <laughs> that we all have to work our way around. But <laughs> <laughs> it's 
tiny, it's tiny tyrants. It's tiny tyrants. Very adaptable. Yeah, and it's quite interesting how, you know, they let go of things a lot quicker than we do. And I, but this year I actually do have, I suppose, I'm not sure if they are resolutions. We've gone vegetarian for January. Mm-hmm. Partly because we do uh, f- weekly food lists. Mm-hmm when we order food and we have been tired and stressed Mm -hmm. uh, for the past 18 months, weirdly. Um, (laughs) And so we tend to use the same food lists, Mm -hmm. um, which has included quite a lot of chicken over the past six months, I feel. Mm. So uh, in a way of trying to get out of that system, we're now doing four weeks or five weeks of just vegetarian stuff. We also went dry, mostly because of going Mm. vegetarian, because if you don't, need to cook a bolognese you don't need to have a bottle of wine open so we thought we might as well that's Um, true i mean actually one of my other resolutions this is the thing i'm just remembering them now because they weren't you know i didn't sit down and make a list but it's all the things i have Uh, one of mine is to use my cookbooks more okay because i have a bookshelf a bookcase full of cookbooks Mm. and i got some at christmas i got three new cookbooks at christmas that i'm really excited about um but i also get into a rut with cooking Mm. partly because i commute so I cook lots of things that are kind of reliable and that can be done at the end of a long day. Um, and and partly just because it's, you know, I really, I've, we've talked about this before, I really enjoy cooking, but I don't particularly enjoy thinking about what to have for dinner. Mm, yeah, and so it's much easier to think you have 10 meals and you need to cycle through them. Mm. Um, and I want to use my cookbooks more, particularly because I live in an area of London with really good, um, I live uh, in an, in East London near a lot of very good Indian greengrocers. Mm. So I live near a lot of very good fresh fruit and vegetables. Mm. So I want to start doing more of that. That's yeah. a, a good a good one. Yeah. Um, it's it's it is interesting. I mean there's a lot of people this is also a thing. I don't know, it's just because we're in our thirties now and people do dry January. I sort of feel like it wasn't such a thing just ten years ago. But that I might think... have been because I was in my mid twenties and, and no yeah. one ever stopped drinking. No, <laughs> no, just continually. I, I think it's new. I think it's new. And I, I used to do it and I stopped doing it a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, the year I submitted my PhD, actually I did dry January for the I submitted my PhD um at mid December. Okay. Before the Christmas holidays, and I had my viva on the fifth of January. Oh, but wow. No, the 5th of February. So, 5th of February. And my favorite the 5th of February. So, I drank over Christmas and New Year, of course. I'm not a monster. And then I um, didn't drink from New Year's Day through to when I submitted my PhD. Mm. Oh, when I oh, had my viva. Oh, for people who don't know, it's an oral exam. The oral exam, at which you find out whether you have passed or failed your PhD. And the PhD is 100,000 words. Yes. So, it's, it's a big thing. After my viva, when I had passed, my PhD supervisor gave me a glass of medicinal sherry. <laughs> Which, after six weeks of not drinking, obviously went straight to my head. Yeah. Um, my, my PhD supervisor uh, writes a lot about wine professionally. Oh. So she she had a, a wide array, array of things to offer me, but felt that a glass of medicinal sherry was the See, most appropriate. I was about five or six weeks pregnant at my viva, so I remember having like a Schweppes uh, ginger ale while everyone else was having proper drinks around <laughs> me when we celebrated me passing. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and I think the dry January thing again is, I mean, people used to be sponsored to do it, which I find really objectionable in the way that I find it objectionable when people get sponsored to do things that are actually good for themselves or, or that they find pleasurable. Yeah, I think it's, like, it's quite problematic. Um, and in my wider work, I write about kind of humanitarianism and aid and charity. Mm. And there's some really interesting work being done on kind of different types of fundraising. And being sponsored for 
like in quote unquote like endurance yeah um, and obviously some of those endurances are things that are really difficult like running a marathon mm. but then the idea that you would also be sponsored to do things like give up alcohol for a month yeah seems to me like it's not on the same plane <laughs> um no but but giving you know i think probably giving up alcohol for a period of time is obviously very helpful for lots of people and it yeah. kind of resets your expectations particularly after christmas right it resets yeah. your expectations as to what is an appropriate amount of alcohol to drink and it teaches you to say no to these things which i think yeah. and this is one my thing about habits and trying to change habits all mm. the time i mean i obviously don't change my habits all the time but it's interesting because it kind of gives you opportunities to reassess mm-hmm. i mean it sounds like you know, quite a lot of people who do dry January probably need to do it from a health perspective. I don't mm. think we do in my household. <laughs> I genuinely don't think we do. Um, we're quite conservative drinkers, I think. But it's it's still like an opportunity to just mm. think about what we have in the house. And yeah, uh, my other half is also giving up chocolates and sweets for January, which That's I'm great. not. <laughs> so he's, I, I think he's feeling this Black Monday thing a bit yes. more than the rest of us. Also because. We're uh, t- in London today. It's been like awfully rainy, Very gray. so grey yeah. and wet, and he got absolutely drenched on his way to nursery this morning. But um, yeah, I do think as well. Because do you have any like exercise related resolutions this year? Not really, and I tend not to. I no, think I, tend not I think to that's well. one of the things that I tend to have as a sort of return from holiday resolution mm-hmm. that I'm now going to start doing it again. I started. I was finally able to start running again in November, it's having having been like signed off running by <laughs> visit. Um, and I think I'm, my plan is to continue with that. And you know, but it's not really. I this is where I start having problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, me too. Because I am a regular exerciser. I fall out of it at times of when it becomes when life becomes a bit too hectic. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have a long history of exercising and doing it quite sort of just routinely without mm-hmm. thinking about it. So I hope that I don't have to become one of those people who signs up for a gym membership and populate the gym massively in January and then never to set up the foot again see i always think i mean i think there's problem the problems with kind of gym exercise related new year's resolutions is firstly january is a terrible time to start exercising yeah just because it's cold and miserable and horrible outside mm. and because you know we've sort of said about this before you know the cheapest and easiest form of exercise often is running which mm. which for some people is just impossible or not something that they can do but actually running is you know cheap you need a basic level of equipment most people have an area you know close to their home or their work where they can run but obviously it's horrible doing that in January and actually for women often it's unsafe it's dark before and after work Mm. there might be reasons why you wouldn't want to start running for the first time down unfamiliar routes Mm. in dusk or darkness this is one of the benefits of being a freelance academic yes you can go for a run at lunch <laughs> i can go for runs whatever. at lunchtime or but, like at four when i all of a sudden yes. realize i've been at my desk for too long and i think sometimes I, do, I get a bit kind of um i mean i really really hate how companies and and gyms and and you know organizations like weight watchers and things try to weaponize the idea of january resolutions in order to attract business mm. it's horrible there's lots of really problematic language around weight loss and diets and exercise around at the moment yeah, yeah, um, yeah that it's just really you know it can be really hard to see and it becomes this kind of it's ever present and for mm. particularly for people for whom this is difficult to deal with i think january must be a particularly unpleasant time to have this mm. kind of stuff around all the time 
And I'm also quite like, I want to, I want to be a bit kinder to people who want to take up exercise in January and then kind of fall off. Like, I think there are... Yeah. I think there sometimes... are benefits to that as well. I mean, yeah. if you just stick with exercising for two or three weeks, in comparison, your fitness levels, in exactly, comparison right? to where you were before, I mean, like, you're going to be better. It's better than nothing. And I do get a bit... I've seen, I, you know, I've just, I've seen sort of, I've seen tweets and things from kind of people who regularly go to the gym sort of mocking newcomers mm. which I find deeply unpleasant like you, you don't need to do that everyone it, it, it was everyone's first time in the gym at some point right and like yes of course lots of people go now and it is quite a proven thing to keep people out of gyms is the feeling that it's not for them yeah, and that exactly the, the, the amount of people out there who feel like they need to have a sort of basic level of fitness before going to the gym mm-hmm. I think it's kind of stopping I think we, in our first ever episode we're talking about this girl can yes and part of that campaign is about stopping people from feeling like they don't deserve the space yeah one of the real positives of that campaign was the way like my I talked about in in that episode my favorite one being the girl in her gym kit on the sofa who kind of rolls off the sofa and says right and kind of leaves the house because it's the idea of but you know maybe you're not a gym bunny who loves exercise maybe you don't have all the kit maybe you can't already run 5k but Mm. everyone starts somewhere right and like and that's why I've always enjoyed using um a lot of the time when I've been using a gym, it's actually been like a leisure centre, like mm. a council leisure centre. And one of the things that's nice about that, you know, the facilities aren't as great as a nice private gym and it's it's not as kind of fancy or anything. But one of the things that's nice about it is you get a much, a much more diverse clientele mm. um, and a much kind of wider range of abilities. Um, and it's a much less intimidating, I think, yeah. than, than this kind of gym spaces I mean I kind of all the time I'm like oh I should probably do more exercise yeah um I don't have any specific January based resolutions yeah no but I have to say in that first episode as well I said that one of the few things I did to exercise was push my kid to nursery Mm -hmm. and I realized now that I started uh, running again that my my levels of fitness were were much improved (laughs) (laughs) having just done this 15 minute walk twice a day three days a week Mm -hmm. I mean I live in an area with a lot of hills it Mm -hmm. could be partly that but seriously just like 15 minutes walking here and there is going to help anyone you don't have to buy a gym membership but if you want to have a gym membership fine of course and if if that's what you need again if that's what you need to get you to exercise I mean that's also another thing you can invest in as a sort of self-care thing yeah absolutely absolutely and and again you know, kind of there, there, there is sometimes again a kind of uh, a rhetoric around exercise that's like, you know, you should be able to do the long, muddy, cold run. No, mm. if you want to do an aerobics class or whatever, and if that's what's enjoyable for you, yeah. Or if you know, if you have the money to pay fifty pounds a month for a gym membership, that means you get fluffy towels and a sauna as yeah. well as a gym. Yeah. Then, then that's fine. Well, the amount right? of people I know who go to the gym so that they can use the steam room afterwards. <laughs> That might be a a specifically Swedish thing as well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we all know from a previous episode that I can't use saunas in gyms because people wear swimsuits in them, but yeah. Um, So do we... Are there any other things about resolutions that that we were talking about before that maybe there's a gendered aspect to Mm -hmm. them? I feel like dry January is quite quite a male-dominated thing. Yeah, I do, weirdly. I was thinking about this when you were talking about it, which is funny in a way, because historically alcohol consumption has been gendered male, right? Mm. And and kind of sobriety has been gendered female. And there's the very kind of the 19th century temperance movement, which is often driven by, by women. Mm. 
um, in America and in Britain and, and in Sweden and in Sweden and it, and it's often driven the te- the temperance movement was often driven by the idea of women kind of using temperance to con- try, try to control men's behavior more generally mm. the idea that that drunkenness was a sign that men were not um, able to control themselves mm. and and particularly against narratives that women were unable to control their emotions in the 19th century right Victorian women or 19th century women are seen as being um, sort of hysterical and um sort of unreliable and this is why they can't have the vote or whatever so temperance is actually a way of shifting that and looking at men and saying well actually no because men are drunken and this makes means that they aren't responsible and they shouldn't have political control Mm. and so actually the idea of sobriety cleaning up the working classes yes in order to get that vote i mean there's a lot of kind of i mean it veers into the eugenics material that we've talked about before as Mm. well doesn't it and also we're gonna have to do a whole episode on eugenics Um, and ideas about working class respectability and, and lots of things. And so in a way, actually, the kind of... I suppose it's not really surprising then that Dry January also often seems to be gendered kind of male. Mm. That it's an idea of like men, again, kind of operating self-control. Yeah. Um, I also feel like there's a, a male sobriety has become more of a thing as well. Hmm. Like... I know several men in their 30s, late 30s, early 40s, who've stopped drinking altogether, mm. not because they had a, a drinking problem, but because they just, you know, f- for for wider health reasons, mm. or they just kind of feel like they're, they're done with the kind what? of mundane going to the pub, having a drink thing. One thing that I've... And I don't really... I don't know many women at all. No, who, at least really. on... They're not as open about it, maybe, or that it doesn't become part of brand that person <laughs> maybe it's less less aberrant behavior for women so it's not as yeah, noticeable maybe. i think also one of the things is um this is a sort of a side thing but having kind of i always think that like there's a point at which um as men get older and their metabolism slows down they suddenly realize alcohol has calories in oh yeah and, and particularly kind of again drinks that are tradition i mean i like i drink beer and yeah. i particularly like to drink real ale but that's a sort of a male gender drink isn't it and, yeah. and things like guinness very yeah. high in calories and that maybe sometimes it's easier for men to talk about sobriety than calorie counting maybe maybe it's all just a, a ruse to avoid getting beer guts mm. but i mean generally you know like sobriety again is, is kind of a control thing whereas calorie counting is seen as inherently feminine and kind of and mm. i don't think you know men don't talk about being on diets no unless um, they're like vegan yes unless, unless, it's, <laughs> unless it's an identity thing yeah um, so I, I do wonder if some of it's from that as well a kind of yeah. But there's also that crisis of masculinity as well of the sort of man who starts doing Iron Man. That oh, you yeah, know that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. You get into your late 30s and you're kind of faced with mortality and aging and you give up drinking and you start taking long runs. It's like going and, for all of the extremes. Yeah, wearing lycra. So my um my resolutions are normally based around some sort of incorporating something into my life that mm-hmm. will make it m- more manageable or mm-hmm. more joyful or but you know, some a small thing, so mm-hmm. like reading fiction or yeah, doing knitting or something mm-hmm. that I can do, and not like going for these ultra marathons, which Huge I just sort change, of feel like. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. I was trying to think about whether the idea of a resolution, because you know, New Year's resolutions are really historically, they've they've been around for a really long time. Like the Romans used to make promises to Janus. Mm-hmm. Um, in January that they you know it's, it's an idea of making promises to the gods basically mm-hmm. this is where it comes from and I was, but I was trying to think about if there's a gendered element to resolving to making resolutions or the types of resolutions you might make yeah um, 
Because actually, a lot of the time, my resolutions are things that, like... Yeah, they're not the big things. It's not to do a marathon or something. It's to kind of appreciate the everyday a bit more, yeah, maybe. Yeah, or to ele- add sort of actually quite small quite small elements of things into my life and and I wonder if in sometimes as well for resolutions because it because it's often about self-improvement yeah but often actually you know the ones that we've talked about haven't today not necessarily about self-improvement it's about enjoyment and self-care mm. um and kind of the language of self-care which I think we could do a whole podcast on at some point the, the mm. way in which the language of self-care has kind of blossomed in the last five years maybe mm. really really kind of been in, in encouraged and where that the kind of political roots of self-care yeah are interesting but they come out of I think a lot of feminist thinking mm. um so that's sort of I don't know a gendered element as well so the feminist resolutions then what would they be I don't know I was looking I was kind of reading stuff around January and a lot of companies and media companies and things were setting like resolutions that to be a good feminist what would your New Year's resolution... You know, what what should good feminists kind of endeavour to do this year? Um, Pay women equally? Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, actually... <laughs> I mean, overthrow the patriarchy? That That's, yeah, that's a, a good, good start. Kind of continual underlying resolution that I have in, <laughs> in my life day to day. And I think that's interesting. I think the proliferation of those articles is interesting because it is implying that... And I think, to some extent, this is obviously true you know, women and feminist women have particular things that they should be doing in order to try to make the world a better and more equal place. Mm. But obviously part of what that does, again, is sort of take away the idea that actually many of the problems that feminists are trying to overcome are not things that can be mended by individual women making better choices. No, a lot of the problems... That a lot of patriarchy is propped up by a lack of feminists. Yeah, exactly. It's not what feminists are doing that's the problem. <laughs> no, it's, right? the, it's the other people. <laughs> and also there's sort of enormous systemic problems. I mean, I think there were definitely... Like, I think, you know, I have a kind of ongoing... I think my feminism could be and should be more intersectional. And that's something that, you know, I think would be a good feminist resolution, for, particularly for many, you know, like me, white middle-class feminists in Britain. Mm. Your fe- our feminism should be like meaningfully intersectional as well, yeah. thinking about the different privileges that we have mm. and thinking about amplifying voices that aren't normally heard within the feminist movement as yeah. well. I think, I think that's, you know, an important thing that, you know, feminist movements need to think about. Mm. And I guess, you know, being continually politically engaged so that, so that feminism doesn't become a kind of performative identity or, or you, you know, or something that's not, practical mm. so so and thinking about what that might look like so does that mean joining a political party does that mean doing um you know what what does practical feminism look like actually how how do you how do you kind of move it away from a kind of from just wearing a beyonce t-shirt yeah like yeah. how how can you make it into something that actually has i mean is it as simple as making sure that you're like mentoring younger women in your workplace for example yeah or that you're consuming feminist literature and actually paying for it so that volunteering at your local food bank yeah exactly or your or a women's shelter yeah uh writing letters to an, your mp about women's issues yeah um there are lots of things I mean, i think it's really important that we also think about this we are both both of us two white women mm-hmm. um pretty middle class i'm an immigrant but 
a very extremely privileged one. I don't look like an immigrant. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I have, still, still I have, lots, of, I have lots of British-born friends who are subjected to racism on yeah. grounds of looks, which I have never been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it's, it's a really important thing. But that's more like a constant background thing exactly. than a resolution. But I suppose the turn of the year and the, the end and the start... Um, gives us an opportunity to think think about it more and think about what else we could be doing. Yes, in definitely. Order to make that happen. Sort of moments of taking stock. I mean, it's the same as you know my as I said, my year kind of runs from September to August rather than January to December. Mm. And September is always a good time to like buy a new pencil case, <laughs> and and a new pair of autumn shoes, and to think about you know five feminist things that you can do that week. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. <laughs> Kind of incorporating these things into uh, the sort of the shape of the year are important. Yeah, and that's part of the function of resolutions, isn't it? It's about sort of taking stock and thinking about what you want to do in the future. I guess. Yeah. On that note, I think maybe it's time for our recommendations. Yes, for I have this a episode. As well. Oh yes, you of course you have a poem. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my poem actually is about the end of years, but I, I really like. Um, the way that it's so it's a, by a woman called Naomi Shihab Nye and it's called Burning the Old Year uh, and she talks about um, yeah burning everything to do with her last year so she says let us swallow themselves in seconds um, and then she says so much of any year is flammable lists of vegetables partial poems and then it finishes with uh, only the things I didn't do crackle after the blazing dies so the idea of like burning your old year and being left with what you have yet to do, I guess, or the things that you mm. didn't do, the opportunities you didn't take. Yeah. I like that as a... That's a very good thing to remember. We'll put a link to the whole poem on the website, obviously. Yeah. To fuel our fires for the next 12 months. Yes. 11 months. 11 and a half. <laughs> um, but our recommendations today, we're, we're going to recommend more TV series. Mm-hmm, we are. Last time we recommended TV series, it caused a bit of controversy because you recommended <laughs> Gossip Girl and... Uh, what was it? Uh, my Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, and, and said was... that they were of similar... <laughs> had a similar stance, but they... yeah. Turns out it's deeply controversial. Also, you know, I recommended Gossip Girl before... Uh, some quite unpleasant accusations came to light about one of the male actors involved in it, which, I mean, if 2017 was anything and 2018 seems to be going the same way, it is Mm. a series of constant unpleasant revelations about men in the public eye, right? I think maybe a resolution of 2018 is to continue listening to that and continuing to um, think about what, how men in general interpret signals Mm -hmm. and the world around them we'll just yeah and continue to continue to listen to women so we're not going to recommend master of none no but uh what what do you recommend this time is it going to be a controversial choice it i hope not i this is i am going to recommend lovesick ah which um which used to be so its first series was on channel four it's now on netflix its first series had what i think was the incredible title of scrotal recall (laughs) but for fairly obvious reasons they decided to rename it lovesick and the premise of the tele there's now three series and the the third series was released on the first of january to much excitement among lovesick fans um the premise of it is that there's a, a guy called Dylan who has been diagnosed with chlamydia and has to make contact with all of his ex-girlfriends to tell them that they might have might have an STD. Um, it's just really, really good. 
it's um, it's much more engaging. If you are a woman who's listened to this and thinking, ugh, I don't really want to listen to a man in his 20s wanging on about his ex-girlfriends, um, <laughs> it's much better than that. It has a fantastic female lead uh, played by uh, Antonia Thomas, who is fantastic. Um, it's really sensitively written and very, very good. And there was a really brilliant um, article written recently about it by Bim Abdelwomni, where she talked to the writer who I think is called Tom Edge, about why it had become such a success with a certain kind of group of people and why it was so engaging. Oh, great. We'll um, put that in our footnotes as well yes, for this episode. Yes, it's, it's a really nice um, article, which, among other things, it's set in uh, Edinburgh. Um, no, it's not set in Edinburgh, it's set in Glasgow. And among other things, um, Bim in her piece points out how kind of it's just kind of quietly very diverse. The cast mm. is really diverse in a way that doesn't kind of use race as a plotline really ever it just happens to be a diverse tv show and it's really Mm. refreshing and nice and nice to watch something that's british but not set in london as well Mm, definitely my recommendation is going to follow my thread of obscure obscure scandinavian things (laughs) so it's but it's not as obscure as my last one which was scam Mm -hmm. shame which you have to find in some sort of dark corner of the internet with homemade subtitles uh it's young and promising which is actually part of channel 4's Walter presents like mm-hmm. the, the foreign dramas yeah. thing. I stumbled upon it before Christmas when I was looking for something else to <laughs> something I can watch while doing crafts in front mm-hmm. of the TV. So I need some. I can't watch French things because I need subtitles for that. But I can watch Norwegian stuff, <laughs> um, and it's very good. It's a kind of continuation of scams. It's centered on a group of women, three women. Mm young women in their early to mid 20s who are trying to make their way in the creative industries Hmm. so one is a stand-up comedian it starts when she returns from LA she's been living in LA Mm -hmm. she's pretending that she's a tourist but she's you know trying to make it as a stand-up and uh, she's back in Oslo to renew her visa Mm -hmm. only the American embassy doesn't believe her so they they don't let her Mm -hmm. have another visa so she can't return to LA so she's kind of facing people at home who might think that she's more successful than she is mm-hmm. um, and she's kind of confronting that idea that she was moving to the US to become a success um, it's called Young and Promising and that's pretty much the premise of it, it's another person is a budding author, mm. a third is a, trying to make it, make it as an actress and it's like this group of women just negotiating friendships and relationships and backstabbing and mental health problems and the kind of typecasting of young women in mm-hmm. the media as well. It's really fascinating. That sounds really And good. like in, as in all Norwegian dramas, there's a lot of birdsong in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, if we have any Norwegian listeners, could you let us know if that's like an Oslo thing? I hope there's just a lot of swallows in Oslo. There's always <laughs> swallows in Norwegian dramas. Uh, but yeah, that's my recommendation. And it's actually easy to get hold of if you've got a um, Channel 4 app somewhere. Yes. And it's properly subtitled. So yeah. Excellent. Next episode, we're going to be talking about Imperial Nostalgia. Yes. So a bit of a abrupt... <laughs> a bit of an abrupt switch from resolutions. To, well, I suppose resolutions looking forward and then nostalgia looking backwards, right? So it's yeah. a kind of theme. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening. You can um, give us feedback, get in touch on our Twitter account at TNKpod or on our personal Twitters as well. Um, you can email us. Um, and remember, if you're listening to this, to sign up to our show notes, um, which go out on the same day as our 
podcast and which give you all of the follow-up links to everything that we've been talking about um, and as two historians we're obviously very committed to providing good citations in our footnotes <laughs> and so we're very excited for people to read those um, and of course you can you know however you are listening to this podcast is a good way to listen to this podcast you exactly. can find us on iTunes or Acast or any of those podcast things yeah. um, and so, tell your friends and family yes and, and, and please if you enjoy it please rate us on iTunes that would be great yes. okay uh, and so until next time bye bye